The reading this evening is John 5, 1 through 18. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there, was a, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38, day, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. And began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered to him, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said, said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowds that were there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went up and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus, because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered to them, My father is still working, and I am also working. For this reason the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. This was the word of the Lord. Webb could not stop thinking about what the old guy had said. It wasn't menacing. Was it menacing? It was weird. It was weird because it kind of seemed like the old guy knew what he was thinking or was responding to what he was thinking. Better be careful you don't get stuck again or something worse might happen next time. Something worse might happen? What did that mean? Did he mean I might not be able to get out, or I might break an axle, or that something might happen to me physically? Webb didn't know where to go. He'd been driving around, and then he came to the parking lot at the Salton Sea State Beach. He sat there with the engine running, staring out at the water, staring but not focused. He was thinking, was it like a curse? Better be careful you don't get stuck again or something worse might happen next time. Not a curse, a warning. He'd been sitting in the parking lot for more than two hours 
listening to the engine, revving it occasionally, amazed at how good it sounded after sitting as long as it did. Days after school got out for summer break, he'd bought a 1974 VW camper bus and hit the road. His parents wanted him to come home for the summer. They had actually wanted him to come home before the semester ended, right after it happened. But he couldn't go home, not right away. He wasn't going to go home. He was too embarrassed or too ashamed. Yeah, ashamed. They said it was in the past. They said they loved him no matter what. They said this was a time really he needed to be with his family. But he told them he wanted some time alone. Well, not necessarily alone, but some time away from anyone who knew him. He would road trip for the next four weeks and then head home and face everyone. So he drove the 2,133 miles from his college to the middle of nowhere out into the desert south of Palm Springs to Slab City, where he planned to spend a week and then had to head up the coast on Highway 1. He'd first heard about the Slabs, or Slab City, as it's called, from the John Krakauer book, Into the Wild, the life story of Chris McCandless, who set off after college to live simply. He left his privileged family and the path to law school, gave away all his money and burned his IDs and hit the road. Before walking into the Alaskan desert to live off the land, he spent some time around Salton, the Salton Sea, staying for, with a couple for a while at Slab City. After Webb read the book, he watched the movie. Then Webb bought the movie. He'd watched it over and over again so many times that he'd had it memorized. The film was directed by Sean Penn, which he thought was cool. He especially liked the part where McCandless and a girl that he met in the slabs, played by a pre-Twilight Kristen Stewart, visit Salvation Mountain. Salvation Mountain is this monument-slash-outsider art installation built by Leonard Knight. In 1984, Leonard Knight, a wanderer and a prophet, stopped in the desert like Abraham and Jacob before him to build a monument to the Lord. On the bank of a dry riverbed, he mixed cement and paint and began his simple marker to proclaim, he said, to anyone who might find themselves on the eastern edge of the Colorado desert, 50 miles from the nearest interstate, just this side of Slab City, proclaim the simple message that God is love. Abraham set up his monument and then continued on to Egypt. Leonard continued building. When cement became too expensive, he started using straw bales and mixing adobe. He used white and bright colors of latex house paint to tell the world that God loved them. They said, God loves you. Those words and hundreds of others are on the monument, on the mountain. They wind around psychedelic flowers and birds and streams and images of hearts and angels, words like Bible, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, Jesus, love, Jesus, fire, Jesus, I am a sinner, come onto my body and into my heart, Jesus, love, God is love. Thirty years later, Leonard had built a mountain 50 feet tall and 150 feet across, using over 100 
thousand gallons of paint. Leonard had not just built a monument in the desert, but also so much goodwill that all the paint, straw bales, all his materials were gifts. People would just show up. They would just show up with these items, making an offering to the altar of love. Some looked around for a while and said thank you, and some stuck around and helped. Leonard Knight died in 2014. Webb was too late to meet him when he went out to the Salvation Mountain, to the slabs. In the movie, the real Leonard Knight makes an appearance. Leonard gives a tour of his Salvation Mountain to McCandless and the girl. In a beautiful blending of performance and reality, or art and truth, the McCandless character, looking around, up and around, clearly delighted and amazed, asked the actual Leonard, Where'd you get all the materials? Oh, a lot of people in the valley, they just really love me, Leonard replies with humility and sincerity. He is tall and lean, weathered, deep sun-darkened skin. He has pure white hair, disheveled, with long bangs falling across his forehead, past his eyebrows like a teenage boy. And he has that kind of energy, too, and conviction. I think the whole world is starting to love me, and I want to have the wisdom to love them back. He steps back, grins broadly, and kind of giggles, maybe at himself. And that's about it, so... He throws up his fist like an old-timey strongman and pumps them quickly. I get really excited. The McCandless character asks, So you really believe in love, then? Leonard rocks forward, head cocked to the side. His expression switches from a wide grin and playful eyes to absolute certainty and conviction. Yeah, his eyes deepen. Totally. He nods his head, coming down on certain words for emphasis. And this is a story the whole world is staggering to everybody in the whole world when they hear that God really loves us a lot, a lot. Does that answer that? Yeah, the McCandless character sort of laughs, nodding in response. Good, Leonard says, his grin returning and his eyes brightening. The film cuts to the three standing on top of the mountain, looking down the mountain, then over to the slabs, and then beyond to the desert. Webb would sometimes rewind that part, rewatch it 10 or 15 times. That's why he went to the slabs. But however full of love Leonard was in the movie, the reality was something different. When Webb drove into Slab City, it looked sketchy, really sketchy, broken down, and he got a lot of suspicious glances as he drove around looking for a place to park his camper bus. He pulled off the road to turn around, and his tires immediately sank into the soft desert dirt. He tried to get out, spinning his tires, but he just dug himself in deeper. People watched. No one offered to help. He got out. He was stuck. He figured since he was planning on staying there anyway, it could wait getting out of that spot. He overstayed his weak plan. It became easier and easier just to stay there. He never talked to his parents. 
Never told him where he was. Months went by. School started up again. It was just easier to stay there until four and a half months had passed. People had gotten used to him, and he'd gotten used to the place. The Slabs, or Slab City as it officially known, although there's nothing official about anything around there, but that's how the residents like it. Slab City was built in 1942 as Camp Dunlap. It was built to train U.S. Marines to fight in desert combat conditions. After World War II, the training camp was closed and the buildings were ordered to be demolished. All the buildings were torn down and hauled away, leaving only the cement slabs they sat on. In 1961, the Defense Department filed a quick claim deed turning the land over to the state of California, which designated the funds from its future sale to the pension fund of the teachers, and then apparently forgot about the place. By the mid-60s, snowbirds coming south to spend the winters in the desert discovered this small, raised city laid out with street after street of concrete slabs. It looked just like an RV park to them, and it was free. It didn't, and it didn't seem to belong to anyone who cared what happened there. People parked their RVs on the cement slabs. Of course, there were no hookups, no electricity, water, or waste disposal, but free goes a long way. It was not long before all sorts of people desiring a free place to be and the freedom of a place where nobody cared about or regulated it. People took up residence year-round. It is a city off the grid and below the radar of law enforcement. There's every sort of thing going on there. There's even a sort of continuous outdoor marketplace. There's various places set up to get a drink, there's a makeshift outdoor music club even, with the generators cranked up for the stage lights and the sound equipment. That was where Webb first saw the old guy. He was playing on an open mic night. Webb was buying a beer from Blackjack, a weather woman, weathered woman of indeterminate age who ran a sort of convenience store out of her RV, when he heard the old guy's craggy voice. It was rough, but had a clarity or penetrating kind of quality to it. Webb stepped out of Blackjack's RV and went and stood by the stage and listened to the guy. He was singing an old country gospel song Webb thought he recognized. Sitting at the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the Savior, or so the gospel said. Waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame. He couldn't remember all of it. Something like folks came from all around, from near and far, just to sit at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir something, something. As the man lay in pain, the Savior spoke these words. Pick thee up your bed and walk. This day you shall be cured. The next morning, Webb woke up, somebody jostling his bus. He looked out, and he saw the old guy attaching a chain to his bumper from his old RV. 
What are you doing? Webb asked. The guy just looked at him and said, take, go put that in neutral. Now, he got back in his RV and put it in reverse, and in one quick movement, yanked Webb out of the deep ruts that the bus had been sitting in for four and a half months. Now get out of here, the guy yelled from his window. And you better be careful you don't get stuck again or something worse might happen to you next time. He didn't know where to go. So he just drove out of Slab City, out past Salvation Mountain, out to the Salton Sea, drove. He drove the entire circuit around the Salton Sea. He didn't know where he should go. Well, he knew where he should go. He should go home. He felt like he might be able to. He felt like he could. His parents would help him, and he could get back in school, maybe for the spring semester. It was time to go. He'd been sitting there with the engine idling in that parking lot. Finally, Webb put the bus in reverse, backed out of the parking space, turned around, and drove back to the slabs. He drove right up to the edge of the soft sand where he had spent the last four and a half months. He put his bus in neutral, sat there, and just stared, stared at the place that he'd been stuck for the last four months, where he'd been stuck not even six hours earlier. The deep ruts of the bus's tire, where the bus's tires sat for so long, were right there, right in front of him, inviting him. He could just put the bus in first gear, let out the clutch slowly, give it some gas, and bounce right back into those ruts and pretend he never met the old guy. He could go back to the way things were. Or he could put the bus in reverse and get the hell out of Slab City and go home, forward or back, first or reverse. It's hard to be healed, he thought, and put the bus in gear and hit the gas.